Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis chapter 3 about the fall of Adam and Eve and how God turned Eve's depression from falling from a cursing to a blessing. Now, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher here on the Friendship with God radio program, is not only a teacher and pastor, he is also a scientist and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. Tom Cantor is also the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, which is the first and original creation museum. And as a resource of the month, Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher and scientist, is offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that features Tom Cantor and leading creation scientists and Bible teachers that cover the Genesis 6 days of creation. We will also include with this month's resource a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years? Now, it's a great book that will show you how the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age. Now, if you'd like a copy of the Six Days of Creation teaching and the Ice Age and the Flood book, it's yours for a donation of $20 or more, which helps support the Friendship with God radio program. So call us today at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can call us now or after the program again at 800-247-3051. Or for more information or resources, you can go online to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org, or again, 800-247-3051. Now let's start our Bible study today from Genesis chapter 3 with Tom Cantor about the fall of Adam and Eve and how God turned Eve's depression after falling from a cursing to a blessing. We're going to continue in this uh, wonderful passage And uh, before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of our salvation, that you didn't change your mind, but that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as we study you, Lord, thank you that what we see here in Genesis is the same person you are in the New Testament. And thank you for showing that to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you look at our passage we're going to be covering here, these last few verses in Genesis 3, start at verse 20, where it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, last time when we were together, we took a good look at Adam and we saw him moved with the truth that he caused the death of that animal. He had caused the death. And there he was, he was wearing the skins of this animal or animals. Very traumatic event. And so maybe you just read this and it doesn't really grip you. I mean, how many of you have pets? How many has pets? Okay, if you have pets, okay. In our business, you know, from 1978 till 1987, we lived among 300 goats, a reputation that I'm glad to be getting away from. But anyway, as the goat man. <laughs> but my wife and I said that when we left the ranch, that was it for animals. No more animals. We'd had enough. And so now we have, only thing we have is we have 14 koi fish, which are carp. 
And I'm not even fond of them. I'm not attached. I have no problem eating gefilte fish. (laughs) But for people who have pets, it's a totally different story. They're actually like members of their family. Yesterday I was preparing for this class. My friend Steve calls me. And he's all concerned. And he says that he's heard in our laboratory that we've made some advances with stomach cancer. And he asked me if we had a cure for stomach cancer. So immediately, I think of Mike Hayner comes to mind with the stomach cancer, and two other patients, Andre from Russia, who was thin as a rail, but getting better, and with the stomach cancer. And, you know, the whole thing comes back to mind, and I'm starting to feel really bad. And then when I feel bad and get upset, I do two things. I talk and I eat. But this time I didn't eat, I just talked. And I talked and talked and went on and on about everything I knew about stomach cancer and the problems that we had encountered with Mike. And and then I remembered the starvation of it all and and how I wish we had caught the starvation earlier and with Mike. And I went into all the issues of starvation from the stomach cancer and what we should have done. And the more I started, was talking about it, the more I was reliving it. It was all coming back to me. And I started to feel really bad. And I was talking in this monologue for about 20 minutes. And I got myself all worked up. And I'm thinking to myself, now Steve is going to tell me about his friend with the stomach cancer. And then he asked what I'd recommend. And I told him, well, in my opinion, he ought to go get these infusions, these 12 days of infusions. He says, 12 days? I said, yeah. I said, it's about four to five hours per day. It's not so bad. I did it. And so I'm visualizing Steve's friend with the stomach cancer. And I'm thinking about Steve's friends is too weak maybe to get the infusions. And that's upsetting. And now my own stomach's starting to feel this hollow feeling. And I'm really upset. And now I really want to go eat. And then Steve tells me it's his dog. His dog has the stomach cancer. I was shocked. And I got mad first at Steve. And I thought, it's your dog. And so I said, we're spending all this time talking about your dog. And I felt so stupid, you know. And I said, I wanted to say to myself, what's the matter with you, Steve? Why don't you just go put it to sleep, your dog? Well, I didn't say that. But you see, for Steve, that dog was like a person like a member of his family. And my problem was that I was insensitive to that. I just thought, put the dumb dog to sleep. But anyway, but it wasn't a dog, for just a dog for Steve. Not for Steve. So when we read in verse 21 here, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, we don't get the trauma of it all. It doesn't grip us for Adam because you and I are like me talking to Steve. We don't understand how close Adam was to these animals. But like Steve and his dog, this was like a part of Adam's family, these animals were. And so when Adam is standing there wearing the skin of these animals, you can just think about that a little bit, how traumatic that would be. He would be sitting there thinking to himself, I caused the death of my friend. And that's traumatic. And we just had a wonderful service every Sunday morning, as you know. Breaking a bread service we had. It's the real worship service. You know, this is a teaching service, next service a preaching service. But that little half hour time, that's worship. And if that service is successful, if it really does what it's supposed to do in impressing us with the suffering and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll come out of that service feeling like Adam did, wearing those skins. Feeling that way. Because we'll be impressed. We caused his death. And he's our friend very close to us, like a member of our, if it was Steve in the Garden of Eden, and it was his dog that was killed, and it was skinned, and he was standing there wearing it, that would be upsetting for Steve. And because he would think, I caused the death of my dog, I wouldn't have cared. No, I shouldn't say that. It took the death of these animals to protect me, 
Adam could be thinking, to protect me. And when you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, that same thought comes through. It took the death of my friend, the Lord Jesus Christ, to protect me. Because by our sin, we caused his death. It was his lifeblood that protects us from the exposure of our sin that would otherwise send you and I to hell. That's the reality of it. And so we see Adam standing there saying, I caused the death. Now last week we also saw this scene of Adam. He's standing there. He's got the pile of his, his aprons of fig leaves, those uh, self-made aprons of fig leaves on the ground. He's just taken them off. He's cast them away. And now he's standing there wearing his God-made skins, his God-made coats, his skin. And we're going to see Adam leave the garden. And as we mentioned before, it's okay for Adam because he says, I got the coat. You remember the phrase, I got the coat. Say that with me. I got the coat. Okay, keep it in mind. Don't forget it. Because when it comes time to die, that's a great thing to say. I got the coat. Someone asked about my, my brother-in-law, Ronnie. Today he's in the hospital with the myelodysplastic syndrome. And he has been there for a month. And he has a white blood cell count that's been down to 0.6, platelets that are at 11. He has no living cell within his bone marrow. And a couple of weeks ago, his hematologist doctor who has great bedside manner, walks in and said, Ron, this is serious. We're talking about death here. So, and so a couple of weeks ago, then we, we, my wife and I had this great meeting with Ronnie, and we talked about how good the Lord is to save him. And then he told me, he says, he says I don't want to die. He said, I don't want to die. And I said, I understand you don't want to die. I don't want to die either. And, and, and he told me, he said, I'm not afraid to die, he said, but he didn't want to die because now that God has done a revival in his heart, he wants to do for God while, he, while he's alive. And so, and, and I said, I understand that. I understand that. And so, but when the time comes, we talked about this, Ronnie, when the time comes for you to die and you have one eye toward heaven and one eye toward earth and you're caught in between and you're like Adam leaving the garden and you're looking back at the garden and you're looking forward and all you're going to say is like Adam says, just say, I got the coat. I got the coat and that's all I need. To be saved in this life by the Lord Jesus Christ is to receive him as Savior, that's to have the coat. And that's the most important thing to do in life. And with the coat, ready to die. Now, we also saw last week how Adam and Eve When they decided to surrender to God, and there is that decision within these verses here of them deciding to surrender to God and let the Lord be the Lord of their lives again, that what happened is that God went about to rebuild their relationship between them. Their marriage was broken. It was severely broken. It was in in shambles. And so God, we saw, gave to Adam and Eve correcting punishments, not curses. He gave the curse to the snake. And then he said this wonderful promise of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3, 15. And he said, he said these words that Adam really keyed on to. He said he heard her seed, and he heard bruise thy head, and he heard bruise his heel. And so here he understood God was going to become, out of love, the Redeemer was going to come. And when you blend this verse, Genesis 3.15, with John 3.16, and with Hebrews 2.14, what's John 3.16? You know that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. What's Hebrews 2.14 through 15? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. 
and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So you can blend all these together. You can blend them all together and you can say, for God so loved the world that he gave her seed. He gave the seed of the woman or his only begotten son that through death or through thou shalt bruise his heel, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that's the devil, or he shall bruise thy head, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, or deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, it would have been very easy at this moment, with all this transpiring, for Eve to have been extremely discouraged. I mean, can you look at Eve? Can we have a heart for Eve? Eve is very, it's a rough time for Eve. She could become, very easily could become depressed. I mean, well, you know, she could sit there and say, now look what I did. Look what I've done. I was the first one to lead in this deadly rebellion against God. Look what I did. I dragged my husband down into this deadly, fatal rebellion against God. She could have said that. I destroyed our marriage. You know, when I was finished, I was no longer bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. I was that woman. This is a rough time for Eve, who gave him of the tree and caused him to sin. But the worst of all, she could say, what I did, I caused death. I brought death into the world. She said, so reality, I'm the mother of death. She could have said these things, you know. It's really a difficult time for Eve. She very well could have gone into a severe depression. God saw this with Eve and this depression that she could have gone to. And God felt for what Eve was going through at that time. And so Eve was kind of like the bruised reed and the smoking flax that God says when he sees that he will not. Isaiah 42, 3, a bruised reed, he will not break. A smoking flax, he will not quench. See, so he sees Eve in this very broken position. And what does he do for Eve? He does what he does in Deuteronomy 23, 5. Great verse to keep in our minds always. Thy God turned the curse into a blessing unto thee because the Lord thy God loved thee. That's the reason why he did it. Deuteronomy 23, 5. God's in that business, turning curses into blessings. It's wonderful. So instead of leaving Eve with that stigma of being the fountain of death, which you uh, was thinking, and God told Eve that, no, 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 Eve, you're going to be the source of the new life. You're going to be the fountain of life. Forget about that in your old past. You were the fountain of death. You were sometimes these things, Paul told us, but now are ye light in the Lord. And so he says, you were that, but now, Eve, it's going to be different for you because now the second birth you're going to give Birth to the life giver himself, her seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Eve, we're going to make for you a special privilege, a special gift to you, Eve, because you're going to be a special little reflection of what it means when the Messiah comes. Because in your life-giving process, childbirth, you are going to be a little picture of what the Messiah would do for mankind. Every time Eve, and all women, give birth and bring in new life, you know, they say that the woman comes close to death. You risk your life. For what? In order for new life to come. See? And so, what is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? He risked his life. In fact, he gave his life. And what happened? Us. New life came. See? So, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, who personally sacrificed himself so we could have life, Eve, all women... 
would, would personally go through this pain, come close to death, and then new life would come. And he did that for Eve. That's wonderful. Now, we come to verse 22, and here there's like this crisis which has emerged on the scene. Man mustn't eat of the tree of life. It's the crisis. It's like, look at verse 22. It says, And the Lord God said, Behold, these words, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. That would be a tragedy if he took the tree of life and lived forever. Here was a crisis. Man has come to know good and evil, but he came to know it on the wrong side. He didn't come to know as God knows it. He came to know good and evil by personally experiencing becoming evil and wicked by doing this sin because he sinned. And the shame, now he was covered with shame. But that shame was from God. And that's what drove him to be willing to take off his apron leaves, the fig leaves, and put on God's skins. That's what it says in Psalm 83. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek thy name, O Lord. See, it's when we're filled with shame when that causes us to seek the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It causes us to seek him. And that's what happened when we were saved. As many as received him, he says, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Wonderful name. The Lord Jesus Christ. Three essential parts. First, the Lord. We say we believe on his name. We believe the Lord part. We believe that he is the only God, God Almighty. He is God the Son with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, all together as one. It's him. Second, part of his name, Jesus. Literally, God saves. To believe on the name of Jesus is to believe that we need a Savior and that he is the one that God saved us through him. And third, Christ or Messiah, literally the anointed one, to believe on the name of Christ is to believe that this is the one that God has sent to save us from our sins. You put it all together, you say, Jesus, God saves, he's the one that he sends, means I don't do any works. Means I take off those coats, those aprons, the fig leaves, self-made, and I say no to that, and I say, okay, God, save me through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, all of that is implied in believing on the three essential parts of his name. And the reason people seek to believe on him, because the shame that comes, because of the fear that comes. It's not a case of a casual pursuit, like a person told me this week. I'm interested, a Jewish man said to me, I'm interested in Jesus. I said, oh, why are you interested in Jesus? And he said, curiosity. Well, it's got to go a little farther than that, than curiosity. But okay, it's a good start. Anyway, the serpent, the devil had led man into the sin, into the sinfulness. And he had that goal. He had that goal. Why? John 10, 10, the thief, and think about him in the garden. The thief cometh not into the garden now, but for to steal from God, to kill and to destroy. That's what he wanted to do. Kill and destroy. Not just one time, but eternally. In eternal destruction. See? And he wanted to make man just like himself. He wanted to make man so he would be cast into hell with himself. And hell was never made for man. That's what he, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 25, 41, when he said to this group, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and the angels, not for man. So there's two characteristics that the devil needed. And his fallen angels so man could be like the devil and the fallen angels, okay? And so here the first one is that he was already successful at, needed man to sin, man to become sinful. And man became sinful. He was a sinner. Second, he needed to quickly bring him to be forever sealed in that sin, forever sealed. 
because the devil really doesn't really die, so to speak. He's forever sealed in his sin. He's in this internal state of sinfulness. And in order for the devil to get man into that, of this eternal state of sinfulness, he needed man in his sinfulness to go eat the tree of life. Seal his feet in the concrete. So what God said is that we have to stop man from eating of the tree of life. It wasn't because God was jealous. It was because God was merciful to man. He had good plans for man. And the tree of life at this point was not part of it. And if they had eaten part of the, if they eaten the tree of life, then their ruin would have been unrepairable. It couldn't fix it. Couldn't fix it. Their disease would have been incurable. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he wanted to cure them from their sin. The only way he could do it, it had to be through death. So none of, none of us want to die. We're talking to Ronnie. None of us want to die. But that's God's way to free us from this body of death. So now, in verse 23, 24, we see that God sent man out of the garden, and then it appears that man didn't exactly want to leave. And so, in verse 24, it says that God then drove him out of the garden. And so, you're getting out of here. But this was very important for man not to eat of the tree of life. So what did God do? He puts two special angels, cherubim, with swords turning every direction to keep man out of the garden. Now, I don't know if you have a King James Bible. Your King James Bible says cherubims. That's not right. The singular form of cherubim is cherub. The plural is cherubims and um, cherubim. Okay, so cherubims is wrong. But, you know, that's okay if you want to say geeses or hippopotamies or octopies. That's okay. But uh, anyway, just so you know, it's cherubim. It's seraphim. But... um, I love the King James Version. I love it because it's majestic, because it's easy to remember, because there are words there, because it's been used for such a long time. Because when people start saying the these and the thous, they're either quoting Shakespeare or the Bible, and most of the time it's the Bible, so it's very easy to... But anyway, cherubim is... Uh, well, anyway, if you want to say cherubim, that's fine. All right, so this is the first time that we see these special angels in Scripture, these cherubim, first time. And what do we see them doing? You know, we have in our company, we have certain people that when something is very, very important and we just can't afford a slip up, we can't afford a learning experience, and we assign it to them. That's our, we have a crack team, we call them a crack team, a different ones. Anyway, so we saw in verse 22 that it was very important to God that man be prevented from eating the tree of life, driven out of the garden. And we saw these words that emphasize the urgency of it all. And they show us here that this was very important to God. It was a special interest of God. So what does God do? He calls his crack team of angels. See, that's what cherubim are. They're the crack team. God's crack team. And this is the first time, a number of times we see them in the Bible. But every time we see them in Scripture, they're right in the middle of what is very important to God. And there's these cherubim, see? And they're guarding God's special interest. Keep that in mind. Say, cherubim, guard God's special interest. Now, there's another interesting place where we see cherubim. And turn to that in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. And you probably know that the cherubim were there on the mercy seat, right? So, Exodus 25, 17 through 20. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubim 
of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat you shall make the cherubims and the two ends thereof, and the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings, get that picture, on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one toward another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. As a reminder, all of our messages are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org and also on iTunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages there for free listening and free download. You can also support us by going online to friendshipwithgod.org so that we can continue to broadcast on this station in your city. Now, Tom Cantor also wants to offer you a great resource this month. Because Tom Cantor is a scientist as well as a pastor and Bible teacher, but even more than a scientist, he's the owner-operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. And as our resource of the month, Tom Cantor's offering a DVD tour of the Creation Museum that covers the six days of creation and the seventh which God rested. So Tom Cantor's got the leading creation scientists that are speaking on there as well as great Bible teachers on the book of Genesis and the six days of creation. We'll also include with that this month's other resource, which is a great book on the Ice Age and the Flood that asks the question, does science really show millions of years, including in the Bible? It's a great book that'll show you that the Bible and science both explain the Ice Age and a young earth. So call us right now at 800-247-3051. Again, 800-247-3051. And we'll send you these two great resources, the Six Days of Creation DVD tour from the Creation and Earth History Museum, as well as the Ice Age and Flood book, all yours for a $20 or more donation and supporting the Friendship with God radio program with Tom Cantor. Again, 800-247-3051 or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.